This week, our word is proclaim. Proclaim. And we'll talk about that momentarily, and you'll be reading about that from Monday to Friday this upcoming week uh, in your devotional book. But I want to start this sermon this morning by talking about another sermon. And maybe you're thinking, well, that is just a total preacher move to not only get up and preach a sermon, but to end the sermon, talk about another sermon. But that's what we're going to do. The sermon I want to talk about momentarily is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This is where our reading came from earlier. And this really is the first Christian sermon. And I wish we had time to go to Acts chapter 2 and read the whole thing and really dig in because it is a rich, layered sermon in which Peter connects the dots of the Old Testament and Judaism with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me just boil it all down for you. The message of this sermon, here it is in a nutshell. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost to the many Jews who had come to the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish holiday. And he says to them that the man Jesus, this man of humble origins who was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, he is Lord and Christ. They are one and the same. And what's more, you crucified him. Yes, it was all part of God's grand plan, but you had a role in putting him on the cross. You put him to death. And as we're going to see, this really, boy, it, it impacts them deeply. You crucified him, but God raised him up and now he is exalted and seated at the right hand of God. It was a powerful and a fruitful sermon. As we see at the close of it, when Peter was finished preaching, everybody said, what, what do we need to do? How should we respond to this message? And Peter famously says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is not just for you, but for everybody, for those who are, who are far off. And he continues to teach them and exhort them. And we see in verse 41 that those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a day. What an amazing sermon. What a fruitful proclamation of the gospel that occurred on that day of Pentecost. But you know, really, Peter is simply doing what Jesus told him to do. And what Jesus told all his followers to do. And that was to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the good news of the salvation that can be found in Jesus Christ. One example is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, at verse 47. Some of Jesus' final words, after he was resurrected, but before he ascended into heaven, he said to his apostles, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of Jesus Christ to all nations. So, in other words... Go out and tell people about me and about the salvation that they can experience through me. Preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Start here in Jerusalem and then allow it to spread to the ends of the earth. Go to all the nations with this news. Go and proclaim the gospel to all. And that is exactly what Peter 
is doing. He is there in Jerusalem on Pentecost. The Spirit has come, and He's telling them who Jesus is. And He's showing them how they can become in a right, they can come into a right relationship with God through Jesus. And as we saw, 3,000 souls added to the church. 3,000 people baptized. Can you imagine how long that must have taken? Can you imagine the excitement that was in the air? All of these brand new children of God, followers of Jesus Christ. But what's even more exciting than the difference that was made in their lives would be to consider the impact that would be made when they went back home. You see, because a lot of the Jews there were not Jerusalem natives. They were from, well, all over the place. And they had come in a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so we can imagine that when these 3,000 went back home, they took this exciting news with them. They took the gospel with them. They took the message of Jesus back to their hometowns. And so the impact of this day extended far beyond those 3,000 people. Because I bet you had grandparents who went back and told their kids and their grandkids. And you had friends who went back and they couldn't wait to tell a really dear friend about what they heard about Jesus. And about this new kingdom and new life that's, that's available to all through Jesus Christ. And I bet you had brothers and sisters go back and tell their siblings. And, and co-workers go back and tell the people that they worked with about Jesus. And so you see, the impact of this day stretched far beyond just the 3,000. I say, just, that's a lot of people. But the impact went beyond those 3,000 to all the people that they went back and told in their hometowns. You see, we never fully realize the impact that we make when we proclaim the gospel. We think, oh, we're just telling a friend about Jesus. We're just inviting somebody to church. We're just maybe linking them up with somebody who can share, who can study the Bible with them. We think it's something small. But I don't think we ever fully understand or realize the difference that we are making in people's lives when we proclaim the gospel. I mean, consider your own faith. Think about why you're here. And all of the people and the events throughout your lifetime and before that brought you here. You are a believer today because somebody along the way decided to proclaim the gospel to somebody else. Maybe it was your parents who shared the message of Christ's love with you. Maybe it was another family member, a grandparent or even a great-grandparent. Maybe a good friend invited you to come to church for the first time where you heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you can trace your spiritual ancestry back even further. And maybe you're thinking about somebody who you don't even know. That's who I'm thinking about this morning. I'm thinking about a preacher, a prominent one of the last century, whose name was Howard Horton. And he was of no relation to me, as far as I know. I haven't really dug back into the family tree. But uh, not my kin. But this man, he's what you might call a mover and a shaker. Uh, he attended Lipscomb and Pepperdine, and he was later on the Bible faculty of both schools. He got his Master's of Divinity up at Vanderbilt. Uh, 
back in the 50s. He preached at churches in Alabama and Kentucky and Tennessee and Maryland. He was a missionary in India and Japan and Vietnam. I mean, this guy was all over the place. But I am most thankful for the short stint that he had at the Ridgedale Church of Christ in Chattanooga in the late 40s and early 50s. That is the congregation where my grandmother and her family remembers. You see, she and my grandfather had just started dating about this time. And Howard Horton, this minister who passed away several years ago, who I never met, Brother Howard Horton baptized my granddad. And he married my grandparents. Now, several years later, it was like their 35th or 40th wedding anniversary. They took a big trip to celebrate to Hawaii. And while they were over there, they went to the Honolulu Church of Christ. And do you know who the minister was at the Honolulu Church of Christ? It was Howard Horton. I mean, where has this guy not preached? He has been, he's been everywhere. He was everywhere. And after the services, my grandparents... Hortons went up to him and they said, you know, we're the Hortons. Do you remember us all the way back, you know, from your time in Chattanooga? You baptized me, you married us. You know what? He didn't even remember them, which is kind of surprising because, you know, Hortons, I mean, we're not, that's not a too terribly common last name, but he didn't even remember them. This man had no idea the impact that he had made by proclaiming the gospel to my grandfather. But he was just doing what God had told him to do in the Scriptures. He was telling people about Jesus. And because of him, because of this preacher that I never met, I stand before you this morning attempting to proclaim the gospel to you. But I need to pause here because there are a lot of folks who, well, they just don't like this word proclaim. They take issue with it. It makes them a little uncomfortable. It's a public word. It's a loud word. People, when they hear this word proclaim, think that it should just be relegated, reserved for preachers like Howard Horton uh, or for evangelists, people like you know Keith Parker who travel around to different places and speak and talk about Jesus and proclaim the gospel. Or people like Mitchell and Rachel who are making a very large sacrifice to move down to Peru, who are giving their lives over in, in a full-time way to proclaiming the gospel to people of a different country. Missionaries, they think it's just for people like those kinds of people. And when they hear the word, they think about big crowds and bullhorns, and they think, that's just not me. They think they're off the hook. They're excluded by their personality or their gift set. They think, well, God didn't really bless me in that way. I can serve in other ways. But proclaiming the gospel... That is for somebody else. That's a word for somebody else. It's not really a word for me. But not so fast. Because some of the most powerful and fruitful proclamations of the gospel have not been loud and public. They've been quiet. They've been one-on-one with little fanfare. I think about that once demon-possessed man from Mark chapter 5. You remember him. He was the man who lived out among the tombs. And he was so severely demon-possessed that he barely wore any clothes. And he would spend the whole night howling and cutting himself with stones. Jesus came out there 
And in a word, he drove out a legion of demons and they went into this herd of pigs and the pigs went down and drowned in the, in, uh, the, the water there. Very memorable story from the Gospels. And then we have this image from Mark chapter 5 of this man, previously severely demon-possessed, and he's sitting there and he's clothed and he's in his right mind because of Jesus. Because of the transformation that Jesus had brought about in his life. And naturally, this man, having been changed, says, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to come with you. He was getting with his disciples on a boat to go back over to the sea. The the previously demon-possessed man says, can I come? And what does Jesus say? No. Because you need to stay here in this region, and you need to tell your friends what God has done for you and the mercy that God has had on you. And so this man goes throughout the Decapolis region, which was a prominently Gentile region, telling people about Jesus and being a witness in his, from his very own story, a powerful witness of the change that can come through Jesus Christ. And he becomes really the first preacher and missionary to the Gentiles. He goes proclaiming to non-Jews what Jesus had done for him quietly, with little fanfare, maybe not in a public way, just from person to person, talking about Jesus? Or what about those ladies, Mary Magdalene and the other women, those early disciples of Jesus, who after his death on the third day, on that Sunday morning early, they go to the tomb with with spices and oils. They're going to anoint the body of Christ, the dead body of Christ. They expect to find him there in the tomb where he was laid. They saw him being buried, They went back to honor his body, but they didn't encounter him, but two angels who said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And what do those ladies do? They go back to the other apostles, disciples, and they become the very first witnesses of the resurrection. Jesus is alive. He wasn't in his tomb. He has been raised. And here we sit 2,000 years later as a testament to their quiet, without fanfare proclamation of the gospel, of their willingness to go back and to tell them that Jesus was no longer dead, but that he'd come back to life just as he said he would. Those ladies weren't preachers, and they weren't publicly proclaiming the gospel, but their proclamation of the gospel changed the world all the same. Most of you remember Bob and Georgie Spears a precious couple who attended here for many years, both in their 70s, grown children for many years. She was a faithful, devoted Christian. He had never been baptized. When the kids were young, she would get them up and dress them and take them to church, and he would stay at home. Now, by the time that they lived here and were a part of this congregation, he was here every Sunday. But invitation song after invitation song, for whatever reason, he, he, he kept his seat. And many of us just couldn't figure out why nothing ever quite moved him to come forward and to receive Christ. They decided to move to Texas. And it was the Thursday before they were to move on the following Monday. And Bob and Georgie were coming by the building to bring some stuff, I think, for the school. And I thought, this is my chance. I've got to say something to Bob. I have nothing to lose at this point. And so by the providence of God, I find myself out in the parking lot with just Bob. It's just the two of us. 
and we're getting some boxes, and I say to Bob, Bob, have you ever thought about being baptized? And his response to me was very polite, but he seemed disinterested. And I didn't feel good about the conversation. Uh, I thought, well, I guess he's still not quite ready. And so I dropped it. Fast forward to Sunday, the, Sunday, the day before they were to, to go out of town. We stand up and sing the invitation song as we had hundreds of times before with Bob sitting right there in the midst of us. But there was something about this time that was different. And I'm standing there in the middle aisle and here comes Bob and Georgie arm in arm coming up the center aisle. And when he, when he got up here, I sort of asked a stupid question. I said, what are you doing up here? I knew what he was doing up there. What are you doing up here? He said, I'm ready to be baptized. Wasn't that a glorious day for this church family? For those of us who were here, I don't think there was hardly a dry eye in the house. Much rejoicing. A little bit later, Bob, uh, Georgie asked Bob, what was it that finally convinced you to be baptized? You know, what, was, what was that final motivating factor? You know what he didn't say? He didn't say it was Joseph out in the parking lot. <laughs> he didn't. And he also didn't say that it was the many of you who encouraged him. And I know there were several. I like to think that God used us as a nudge to point him in the right direction. You know what he said to Georgie? He said, it was you. It was you. All those years, your example, your steady, sustained faithfulness, it was you. Bob became a Christian because of his wife's quiet, consistent proclamation of the gospel in word and deed over many years. Peter proclaimed the gospel in our text before thousands of people. 3,000 people added to the Lord's church that day. But you know how Peter came to know Christ? Peter would not be Peter, the Peter that we know, were it not for his brother, Andrew. He would never have had the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to that many people on that special day if Andrew had not first brought him to Jesus. In John chapter 1, we read this story, starting at verse 40. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak, and followed Jesus was Andrew. Andrew was originally a disciple of John the Baptist, but when Jesus comes along, John says, hey, behold, the Lamb of God, this is the one to whom I was pointing. Follow him, not me. Andrew starts to follow Jesus. And Andrew, the text tells us, is Simon Peter's brother. And verse 41, what does it say? He first found his own brother, Simon. Andrew says, I've got to tell my brother about Jesus. I've got to tell him. Do we have that same sense of urgency to tell those who we love the most about the relationship that we have with God? Andrew had that. He says, the first person I've got to go tell is my brother Peter. I've got to go tell him that Jesus is here. And so he goes, verse 41, and he finds Simon and he says, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42 some of the most beautiful words in all the Bible. 
He brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. That's how we know him. But that word means rock. And Peter becomes a rock in the early church. But there would never have been a Peter without Andrew. There would never have been Peter's loud, bold, public proclamation were it not for Andrew's quiet, with little fanfare, one-on-one proclamation of the gospel. There would have been no Peter the bold preacher, no Pentecost sermon, no 3,000 baptisms were it not for Andrew. Andrew's unassuming proclamation, it made an impact in ways that he could not imagine on people that he did not even know. You think Andrew had any idea by bringing his brother to Jesus what God would do through that one encounter? But because Andrew decided to do that, thousands upon thousands of people were exposed to the good news of Jesus Christ. By that one conversation. By that one decision. You see, every Christian is a spiritual descendant of missionaries. Every Christian is descended from missionaries. And that's what we've been called to be. You are here because someone along the way brought somebody else to Jesus. There was a preacher who was asked to come preach at a little bitty church in southeast Iowa. The church had not met for several years, but they got together once a year on a Sunday, sort of as a homecoming, and they'd clean up the old cemetery and they'd then have a worship service. And this preacher was asked to come that day and he preached and he asked the congregation, why did you stop meeting regularly? And they had a lot of answers. Well, this leader died out and the kids got old and moved off. And he said, I think you should start meeting again. And so they met the following Sunday and he came back and preached for them again. He preached for them Monday and Tuesday. And on Wednesday, there was a lady who came and wanted to be baptized. He baptized her. A crippled lady. Her name was Josephine. And he left that church and he never returned. Now, many years later, he was in his last year of teaching at a theological school. He was introducing himself to a new crop of students. And one of the students said his name and said, I'm from southeast Iowa. And he said, really? What church did you go to in southeast Iowa? And he said, I was just this tiny little small country church. And he said, what was the name of it? And the young man said, The old Taylor church. The old Taylor church. That's where he went all those years ago and preached and stoked the fires and encouraged the people. He said, I've been to the old Taylor church. Many years ago, I came and I preached there. I baptized a lady, a crippled lady. Her name was Josephine. And tears welled up in this young man's eyes. And he said, she's the reason that I'm here. Who's the reason that you're here? Are you the reason that somebody else is here? And if not, will you be? I want to tell you one final story. 
about a young couple. Both the young man and woman were from the rural south, born into poor farming families, sharecroppers. They married in 1949. He was 24 and she was 18. Wanting a fresh start, the couple moved off from their small, dusty town and eventually landed in a bigger city with more opportunity. The young man began working at the local newspaper, and that's where he met Roy. These two guys, they became fast friends. They would talk on break, despite their personality differences. This young man from the small town, he was outgoing. He never met a stranger, but Roy, his new friend, was a little more shy and reserved. Now, before long, their wives were introduced. The couples grew close. In in, in time, the wives joined a bowling league, and they spent many evenings together at the local alley. This young couple I'm talking about is my grandparents, my other grandparents, my mom's folks. Early in their friendship, Roy and his wife Ruby invited my grandparents to church. Roy and Ruby were new Christians. They were excited about how Jesus Christ had changed their lives, and they were eager to share the faith with their new friends. And their new friends were eager to listen. You see, when my grandparents moved from just outside Tupelo to Chattanooga, they didn't bring a strong faith with them, not much of one at all. But now, because of Roy and Ruby, they started going to church. They began studying the Bible around Roy and Ruby's kitchen table. And soon, my grandparents were baptized into Christ. Now, sadly, this story takes a tragic turn. Several years later, my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer. He became very ill, and he passed away just a few months shy of his 40th birthday in the couple's den. Now, mercifully, their young children, my mom included, only five years old, were not at home when he died. You want to know where they were staying? At Roy and Ruby's house. My grandmother, now a widowed mother of three in her mid-thirties, carried on with her life as best she could. She had no high school diploma, no professional training to speak of. My uncle recalls the early days after my grandfather died, he would wake in the night and he would hear her cries coming from downstairs. And then he would hear other voices. And they were the voices of Roy and Ruby who had come over in the night to comfort my grandmother in her grief. In time, my grandmother remarried, who I know is my papa, who recently passed away. They continued in their devotion to the Lord. They continued raising their family in the church. And they continued their enduring friendship with Roy and Ruby. And because of that couple's faith, Because of these two ordinary people who I never knew, I stand before you this morning. I'm here because Roy and Ruby decided to proclaim the gospel to their friends, my grandparents. I'm here not only because a preacher proclaimed the gospel, but because an ordinary couple told somebody else about Jesus Christ and how He had changed their lives. That's why I'm here. 
I stand before you as a testament to the impact that can be made when we tell other people about Jesus. In 2012, I traveled with my grandmother on her final trip over to Africa to see the Christian school named for her. And on this trip, there was a new school building that was being dedicated, and this structure would be used to instruct poor young women in various trades to get them off the street, and most importantly, to teach them the gospel. And at my grandmother's request, the building was named in honor of her late friend, Ruby. And I remember being there at the ceremony and looking over and seeing my grandmother wipe tears from her eyes throughout. And I know why. I know why she was so emotional that day. Because without Ruby, she would never have been a Christian. And neither would I. Who will become a Christian because of your influence? To whom will you proclaim the gospel? Are you ready this morning to receive salvation through Jesus? Won't you do that? Or if you need prayers for any reason, you need encouragement, you need to be restored to a faithful walk with Christ, this is a chance to do that as well. Would you come as we stand and sing?